listen, do you want to get jacked? Do you want to get bigger, faster, stronger? Are you putting everything you got into your workouts? Well, that's great. That's great. But are you backing it up when you get home? You know what I mean. Are you eating right? Are you drinking right? Are you taking the correct supplements? Well, if you're in need of some fantastic supplements, go over and check out GetMountainOps.com. Some of the best supplements out there geared towards the specific needs of the hunter. They got multi-blended proteins, pre-workouts, post-workouts, multivitamins, which I myself take and thoroughly enjoy. And not only that, but for the fantastic listeners of this show, if you want to get 20% off your order, all you have to do is enter the coupon code NBH20 at checkout and boom, 20% off right there. So head on over to GetMountainOps.com and get yourself some. And don't forget to head on over to naturalbornhunter.com check us out on youtube subscribe to our itunes channel hit us up on instagram and facebook all right now let's get this show underway that denver has as far as skiing like your skiers and your hunters when it comes to the backcountry scene and what people are willing to do is just a lot cooler i think Mm -hmm. so how do those forests naturally cycle out then uh, they go hardwood, well, they start fields, fields turn into like low lying hardwoods, which turn into tall hardwoods, which eventually turn into conifers, you know, uh, needle bearing, uh, evergreen type trees. And then eventually those die down and then cycle back through. So I mean like, so when the forest gets too thick, how does it naturally thin itself out? It doesn't, man. You just have a lot of really? dead-ass rotten trees everywhere, and that's why man, hunters... That's so bad. Dude. It is so bad. It is so bad. And, you know, maybe we'll just kick the podcast off from here because, you know, as hunters, we are passionate, passionate conservationists. We love the animals we hunt, even though I know it's contradictory to what some people's ideologies and beliefs of what hunters are may be uh, as a hunter, as Grant's a hunter, as Phil is a hunter, we all deeply, deeply care about these animals. And what we're talking about is in the Adirondacks, there are places that are forever wild and where they are forever wild, the deer populations as recorded by hunters throughout the years has been dwindling and just now you go up there and you're finding nothing. And it's because these forever wild places have no controlled cutting of these trees. Therefore, these big trees grow up. They block out the sunlight below. Nothing can grow up beneath them, uh, which kills the amount of food these animals who are down on the forest floor can get, deer and such. And eventually they just fall right away and you know the forest cycles through. But the ones that really get hurt are the animals. Definitely. One well, a little thinning can go a long ways to bring that undergrowth back and to give the deer what they need to eat and flourish. It, it's so true. It's so true. And it's not just the deer. You know, everything else, everything smaller than the deer get hurt. You know, it's the birds. The bird hunting's non-existent in there. You know, and it's not because there's no bird hunters. It's because there's no birds. Yeah. You know, and that brings us to, ladies and gentlemen, starting on a super serious note tonight, welcome to the Natural Born Hunter podcast. Will Bradley here spinning the ones and twos along with my boy, Big Sexy himself, Phil Mendoza. Phil, how you doing tonight? Good, man. So we're doing all audio tonight, and it's too bad because I'm naked, so if uh, people would have been watching, you know, they would have seen a... Um, yeah, well, I'll just leave it to their imagination, but hey, what's going on, man? Not much. Tonight, we also have the mountain <laughs> mutt himself, the hunting hippie, Grant Gladson from One Shot Gear. How you doing, Grant? Doing all right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for coming on, man. It's been a, it's been a long for time sure. coming because One Shot Gear is one of those companies that even as a man from the Northeast, I've known about for years. You know, it's, That's good to hear. It's one of those places that its reputation precedes itself. Uh, Phil told me about it a long time ago. I follow you on Instagram at you know mountain underscore mutt, I believe, is the official uh, tag. You know, Guys, if you want to see some incredible hunting or uh, outdoor photos, 
head on over, follow Grant, follow One Shot Gear. It's some it's some really cool stuff going on. Uh, and it's actually a picture of a bear. You know, I, I, I don't want to dick around. Let's dive right into this. The picture of the Russian bear. Uh, tell tell me that story, man, because I'm dying to hear about it. It was, man, it was a, a pretty interesting experience. I, I looked at it as like a, a cultural hunt because you're riding around on snowmobiles in these like ancient Russian uh, white birch forests trying to track down the bears as they're first coming out of their den. Uh, first couple of days weren't super eventful because we were there a little early, but as soon as bears started popping, we were chasing tracks 12 hours straight on snowmobiles, um, hanging out with guys that grew up in the Russian wilderness who didn't speak any English, you know, so you have to get a little creative on, on how you're communicating about where the bears are and what the next move is. Uh, but we got to spend six days and, Man, it was wild to, because I've never seen, uh, I've never killed a bear up until that time. I never, black bear, brown bear, you know, hadn't really seen very many in the wild. And then to come up on a, you know, like, a, I don't know, eight, nine hundred pounds, nine foot brown bear going through the forest at like 70 yards. I mean, that, there's not much that gets the heart something like that. That's, that's for sure. Um, but we're, able to go out and hunt for six days, take four bears and all of them, you know, big Bruins. And um, it, it was, I don't know, man, it, it, it's somewhat speechless when you, when you get to do something like that. That's a once in a lifetime experience by all means. And how did you get started on that trip? What made you decide to go? So, uh, Alex, the owner is originally from Russia. And he met one of the guys over there on a fishing trip. And the guys, the he uh, manages a, a tenth of Kamchatka, the Kamchatka Peninsula right across from Alaska. And they just started chatting and, and talking about bear hunting. And uh, since I started with Alex about four years ago, we kind of put a plan together where it's like, you know, if we, if we reach our goals, if, you know, work hard and we, we get done what we need to get done, then we'll do kind of like a, a business trip, you know, a, a bonus trip per se, uh, to go out and reward ourselves. And so we, you know, we we're playing with the idea of going and doing like a do it yourself trip in Alaska or something like that. And then he met this guy over there fishing and started chatting with him and one thing led to another. And a couple months later we had the trip booked to go chase bears and, fly all the way around the world, go through Russia a little bit, and then go get lost in the Russian wilderness and, and see if we could get on some brown bears. That's that's awesome, man. And what was the feeling like when you were on that brown bear? <laughs> I, 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 it's hard to even put it into words. Um, I mean, it, and you get a similar feeling like when you're on a, when in, you know, you have an elk at 40 yards or, you know, you have any animal that you've been chasing and putting hard work into, and you're finally at that moment where you think you're going to have your opportunity. Um, uh, but there's something, it's a whole nother level in the sense that that thing is a 900 pound, uh, predator with five inch claws. Um, and if it wanted to, it could easily do some damage. And so that, it, it brings a whole nother level of respect, uh, when you get into that kind of comfort zone of that animal. Um, you're a lot more alert, a lot more ready for what's going to happen. Uh, you know, a couple security shots never hurts, but you know, we just saw a story about a guy that got, pretty much his face eaten off in Alaska because they came up on it before it, it was, it was done. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta be careful. And they're, they're definitely something that earn your respect when you're in their presence. They're a pretty mighty animal. What was your favorite part of the trip? 
I mean, being next to that bear was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, just being next to the animal and being able to to see them and to cape them out and, you know, take pictures with them and just see what a bear's like up close. Because, you know, you see all these pictures and you think you know what it's like and you think you know what it's going to be like to come up on that animal and then you're there and it's it, it's a whole other magnitude of of impact on you. But I think one of the cooler things for me, uh, going and seeing, like, Russian hunters in their element was just... It, it's always really cool for me to see other cultures and how as hunters, like these guys grew up in Soviet Russia in the Kamchatka Peninsula, you know, in a completely different world than I did. But as hunters, we get out there and then we just click. Like we, we are on the same level. We understand uh, how to approach it and, you know, what to do in the, in the woods and, and how to interact and figure out what the next step is in a way with a, with a language barrier. Um, it's just cool to kind of see how that ends up working out that, you know, like hunters are hunters, guys are guys, you know, like at the end of the day, we're all pretty similar regardless of whether you came from Soviet Russia or, or, you know, Wyoming, Colorado area. So as the saying goes, you know, there's the international language of love, but you put it up there that there's also the international language of the hunter. I would, I would say so, man. I would say so. Some there just clicked and, and we got each other pretty quickly. Was there any surprises on the trips or things you didn't expect or may have been a little bit shocking to you? Yeah, I didn't expect to be in a snowmobile the whole time, to be totally honest. Um, you know, and that's kind of why I was saying it was more of a cultural hunt because it's not like we were necessarily on foot coming in on these bears, you know, like sneaking in and doing all that. Um, the hardest part was cutting the right tracks and, and having good snow to get to them. So that definitely was was interesting for me because it's a lot different than what we're used to out here where, you know, you got to put your pack on and just go for a while. Um, so that was a little surprising uh, I did gain 15 pounds in six days. So what? That was surprising <laughs> as, as well. <laughs> so then it, that one kind of caught me off guard. You know, you're expecting you go hunting, you lose weight, right? You gain weight. <laughs> and how did you how did you manage that? Um, man, when you have a good camp cook that is making food 24/7, just about it, it's hard not to gain weight. Wait, how many days I, were you there? How many days did it take to put on 15 pounds? <laughs> Six. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. So you're doing yeah. over two pounds a day? What was he cooking? Just like all kinds of delicious Russian pastries and soups. And like she would be sad if you didn't eat at least three helpings each time. And then you had like five meals a day. It was it was wild. And then when you were out, I mean, because the days were really long there, you know, so we got a lot of time in hunting and just camaraderie and all that. And and, uh, yeah, had a lot of time to eat a lot of food. I was impressed. I was impressed with myself. A little chubby. A lot of chubby, but I was impressed. Tell tell me about these Russian pastries, because I've had a lot of pastries, but none from Russia. What were those like? Uh, they're like croissants, except way better, almost. Um, and they come out by, like, the four dozen. And, if Oof. you know, again, the expectation is you got to eat them. But they're like, you know, a little sweet. They're not, like, drenched in sugar, so you can eat more of them without, you know, getting that sugar overload, per se. But, uh, yeah, definitely, I mean, if you can, Russians know how to cook. So if you can get into a Russian household <laughs> and get some authentic pastries, you will, you'll be a happy guy. So you're just crushing carbs hey, to your face so, for six days straight. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, Will wants to know about the food. I want to know, did you sample the women? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were a little too busy chasing bears, man. No no time no time for the ladies, unfortunately. But uh, I, I, I have a girl from back home would be a little, little bummed about that. If, if so. But no, we we're, were just chasing bears, man. All business. Bears and pastries. That's why we were in Russia. Well, there's, vodka, too. But. There's two things, uh, three things Grant cut crushes in Russia. 
<laughs> vodka, pastries, and brown bears. No ladies. Yeah. <laughs> when in Russia, man. When in Russia. <laughs> I didn't know Russia was so big for the food, man. That's good to hear. Yeah. Good food, man. Good home cooking. He's not That's telling cool. us about that one lonely night where the cook came in. She was extra cold. Grant was looking warm after eating two dozen pastries. <laughs> Alex and I had to snuggle, so we, he, we didn't freeze to death when the furnace went out. You, know, you got to do what you got to do. Hey, hey, ask no questions, tell no lies, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Grant. Oh, man. This is an amazing opportunity you landed yourself in by being a part of One Shot Gear. Uh, tell us about One Shot Gear because, well, Phil knows a ton about it, and I am very aware about it. Our listeners may not know exactly what One Shot Gear is, and it's something they should know about. So drop some knowledge on us. So Alex, the owner, started it. Uh, a little while ago, and I came on with him about four years ago. Uh, his idea, what his passion was, is, is hunting, you know, putting meat in the freezer, just like all of us. And he grew up where you couldn't hunt, because in Russia, you, you have to have, you know, some money. And he came from a very humble beginning, and so he came over to the U.S., and he's like, wait, I can just go buy a rifle and buy a hunting license and, you know, go out and chase an animal by myself? Like, it's that easy? And so since he came over about like 20 or so years ago, he's, he's been super passionate about hunting and teaching himself and, and getting into it. And so he started this, this shop with the idea of um, being able to provide quality gear with the know-how to ensure that you get into it without buying stuff you don't need. Because there's, so much gear out there it's really easy to get confused on you know what you do and don't need and what's right for which situation it's always going to be a little different depending on what you're doing and so he got it going so that he could kind of inform people so when they do make that investment into some of the better higher end gear uh that they were happy with their purchases you know they were able to build a relationship with who they were buying it from. So I got on with them, and as we go forward, we've been able to get more brands, um, get more guys on. Now we're, we got a whopping four guys on staff, um, but we pack a punch. Each one of us is very familiar with the gear. Uh, we spend a ton of time out in the woods, uh, and we live by the mantra of, you know, of, Buy once, cry once. I'm investing your money into gear that's really going to serve you uh, out in the field, whether it's optics or clothing or knives or whatever it is, quality things that will be reliable and not fail you uh, in the moment of truth because, you know, you don't get a ton of opportunities out there. So when something fails you, it, it can be pretty heartbreaking. And is that is that where the name comes from of one shot? You want to nail it on that first shot? Yeah, I mean the idea is, you know, a lot of times, especially when you get into um, some of the more backcountry stuff, is you have one shot. You know, all your the whole off season training, uh, fine tuning your gear, scouting, the whole hunt. You know, a lot of times you get that one good opportunity, and making sure that the gear you have doesn't fail you in that, you know, one shot or one opportunity that you get. You know, it's a little cliche, but it's uh, it's extremely um, accurate in my opinion. You know, I'm not getting 14 shots at animals when I go out. You know, you get one good opportunity on that animal you've been chasing. And once you bump them, a lot of times, it's ball game. Right, that's because you haven't hunted with me yet. You learned to empty a trigger in a heartbeat. <laughs> I need to spend some more time with you, Bill. Am I doing it the hard way, or am I missing something? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll learn you. We'll learn you. That's why All Phil's right. called No Limits because there, there's no you know rules when you go out with Phil. You got to get the Gatling gun bow out. That way. That's, that's right. That's right. Oh man. Yeah. People well, say Phil. Tell, but, so, so tell. I mean. 
Phil's got so great. backup though, just for you know. Really <laughs> just so I can reload quicker. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah, already exactly. got the arrow in there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I mean, you guys really focus on on the high end stuff, like you said. I mean, it's you, you want to make sure you're getting quality, and 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 with with the highest of of equipment, you know, you, it, the price goes up, right? But um, many of us who have dabble down that hole where you've you've tried something a little less expensive and it didn't work out you you end up real recognizing and realizing how valuable that that gear is that you spent a few extra dollars on and so so you know perfect example you know i go in there a couple weeks ago and and i've got some some tarps and i like i've got the kafaru tarps i ran last year and and they're great, but there's some there's just some times when a tent might be better, right? And absolutely. So I'm I'm looking to upgrade my 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 solo tent shelter, and I go in there with you, and we start talking, and and it was like, well, we you know how many times did I change my mind, Grant? Three. I yeah, we balanced between three or four tents by the end of it. Um, just get an idea of what you needed and what you were doing. But at the same time, it's one of those things where we're not talking about a two hundred dollar tent, right? A hundred fifty dollar tent. And I'm not trying to say no, this no. because I'm like patting uh-huh. myself on the back that I can afford an expensive tent. It's not like that. But what I'm trying to get at is you're like, okay, about this one, and we're talking about it through some of the, some of the specs. Okay, well, what about them? Well, we've got a couple of these too. So it's not just a matter of high-end equipment. You guys have inventory. You have knowledge about Absolutely. the different products, and and that's what really, in my opinion, sets you apart. You know, I I don't even I don't want to talk down to the box stores, right? But I really don't have that much of a need to go to a box store anymore. You know, I have access of getting a lot of stuff in my shop and the other stuff that I don't. I have I have one-shot gear is where I go shop, and it's one of those things that. You know, like I said, you you guys have a ton of inventory, and people might not realize how much you guys actually carry, but um, that's what really I'm learning in my business at the shop is the more that we we can afford to carry, the more we're going to carry because that's what's valuable to the consumer. Yeah, and when you come in, and cause, so we're a huge Sitka gear dealer. We're one of the biggest dealers in the country. Like, we alternate between one and two of standing inventory. So Sitka makes it, we have it. But you come in and you want a system, or you want to start a system, a piece at a time. I want to show you options. I don't want to sit there and be like, oh, this is the only pant that we carry, so this is what I'm going to sell you, even though it doesn't fit your needs. I want to be able to sit there and show you the five different pants, figure out what you're doing, figure out how to cater to your needs with what we have, and let you try on multiple sizes. Trying to shop and put, you know, high-end clothing, a high-end clothing system together online is one of the most frustrating things because you don't know what the sizing is going to be like. You don't know what it's all going to feel like when you put it all on at once. It's a pretty difficult thing, but the nice thing is, is I've fit so many people that I can talk to you and be like, okay, well, what do you normally wear? Um, what pieces are you looking at? If you're looking at this piece, make sure to size up. If you're looking at this piece, you can size down. This one's going to be pretty normal to what you normally fit and, and get you where you need to be and do it all at once to where I'm not having to you know, reorder a bunch of stuff to get it in. You can put it all in on right there and, you know, make sure that you're comfortable making that purchase. You're not just kind of guessing at what it's going to be. How has that helped you in your own personal uh, outfit and, and, and your, your kit and your gear and what you take out? Because obviously you, you guys carry the most of the high end stuff that, that that's, that's out there. And, you having fit so many other people and I almost I'm not saying live through other people's mistakes, but you people will come in with problems, right? Hey, oh, yeah. I tried this and this didn't work for me. Or I've tried that and that didn't work for me. And so how has that helped you when when you're spending time out in the woods? 
I think for me, um, what it's helped me do is narrow down the necessities. Because uh, there's a, there's almost this excitement. Well, one thing, it's really hard in the store to walk away with a paycheck because there's so much <laughs> good gear in one place. It's like, well, I want that one, and I want two of those. And so getting out of the paycheck is tough. But when I can, um, when it comes to putting the gear together, I've learned to be a little more pessimistic about gear because when you first look at the system, you're like, oh, I want, you know, I want all of these different pieces and I'm going to, when I go rifle hunting, I'm going to switch out my whole system. But really what it is, is you can get a, a higher end system that'll take you from, you know, scouting in July through late December and you may swap out one piece. So it's helped me kind of simplify and save people money. Cause I don't want you to come in, and get a same people and myself really from learning this, but I don't want to sell someone something that they're not going to absolutely love. So a lot of times guys will come in overbore on what they need, thinking what they need and same way I did. And then you start talking, you realize that a lot of it, you know, you can cut three or four of those pieces out and they're just not necessary. You have doubled the things you just don't need. I think that's the biggest takeaway I've gotten because I get to talk gear with people all day long. Um, but kind of the other big takeaway, because I grew up hunting super cheap gear. It's what we could afford, you know. So we were bargain shopping Walmart for for cotton camo when it was on sale and wearing boots that were way too big and all that. But when I found that investing in gear drastically increased my comfort, what I could do outdoors it was it blew my mind what a good pair of boots does for you. Uh, it's just, I mean, as you guys know, stuff like that is life-changing out there. And let's dig into oh, that yeah. a little bit. What is your go-to kit? Here's what I'm going to recommend of someone, say, coming out from the East or just starting or has been doing it for a while and looking to upgrade their pieces. What is the kit you would recommend? So, in uh, I mean, I'm going to generalize it because there's so many different things you're going to be doing out here that there's a lot of different ways to put it together depending on what you typically do. What I spend 90% of my time doing is I hunt high country. I scout and hunt high country from, you know, as soon as the high country melts, about June through September and October, and then we start to hunt lower as the snow pushes the animal. But we're in pretty unforgiving terrain. Uh, it gets cold up there. It gets windy up there. You know, you're exposed to the elements. What I really like is I like First Light Merino Wool as a base layer. Uh, then I put on a, a, like a technical fleece, and you can go with like a Sitka Core Heavyweight uh, First Light Halstead, First Light Chama. There's, I mean, it, uh, that's more of a personal preference. You're going to get a fairly similar product across the board in all the different brands. Um, I think my favorite pant by far is the Ascent pant by Sitka. I wear that thing. I have the solids and I wear it every day. It's so comfortable. Um, but it's been what, it can be a little light for some of the hunts in the later season, but if you throw some bottoms on, and I stay so active that it's good for me. Um, and then I go to the, I use the Kafaru Parka, so they're puffy Parka. Um, Sitka makes a great puffy, and as does First Light. Um, but there's kind of, the Kafaru Parka packs a little more punch. It's a little better protection from the wind. It's a synthetic, so I don't have to worry about getting it wet and, like, getting caught in a bad situation and when I go to Alaska or, or uh, you know, have a bad storm come in in Colorado. Uh, and then I run, uh, right now I'm running the Cloudburst Rain gear from Sitka. It's kind of like your, you know, kind of multi-purpose entry-level rain gear, but it's plenty for everything in the lower 48 minus the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I have some heavier-duty stuff for some of the later trips. But that system right there um, gets me through almost everything I do. I swap my pants out as I get into the later season. Uh, into November and we're hunting in you know a foot of snow or so too and I've been running the 90% there 
by Sitka. Um, that's just what I like, you know, and it, I think a big thing too is Phil will try on a pair of pants and the way he's built, uh, they won't, the aesthetics might not fit him as well. So he might fit it better into one of the first light pants. And so if that's the case, go first light, you know. So I think it's important to get a feel for it because there's a lot of wiggle room with the systems. Right, right. And and that's actually something we talked to Ryan Callahan from uh, First Light light. Mm -hmm. was – you're running the Puffy from Kafaru, right? And the one thing I mentioned to him is something I don't see being put out by – hunting companies and and he would agree with it is a bomb proof puffy jacket yeah they're all pretty fragile yeah you know and he was saying i don't know if he alluded to their working on something like that but i'm really hoping somebody puts one out you know it doesn't need to be rain waterproof just a little water resistant maybe a little treatment on there but something you could stand on the top of the mountain with the snow blowing and going and still be warm, hood up. Well, and that's what, that, that Kavar Puffy for me, um, it kind of fits that bill, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, so my idea on a Puffy, like there's all these ultra-like down Puffies that weigh, you know, eight ounces and they're more expensive than warmer jackets. And it, this like ultra-like fat is getting into those really light Puffies. But for me, when I when I'm at the point where I'm like I need to put my puffy on, I'm cold. Like there's very few situations where I'm moving, so a lot of times I'm sitting or I'm inactive. So whether I have like a light puffy, a midweight puffy, or heavy puffy, I'm gonna it's not gonna inf- like I'm not gonna overheat with a heavier puffy. So I want to go with something heavier so that I can handle a a greater variety in harsher conditions. Um, than what a light puffy can do for me. Because you can get in trouble with a light puffy. But with that heavy puffy that Kafaru puts out, it's a good balance to where it's not too much, but it will keep me warm in some pretty harsh situations. It cuts wind really well, and it does kind of have that, you know, the DWR, that I think it's a rhino lining that they use, similar to on the sleeping bag. I could be wrong on that, but it's a very versatile, uh, resistant material. And is that, yeah, they I, call I ran that last year too, man. Yeah, and, and I think you solid. had an interesting experience with an ultralight puffy, didn't you, Phil? The uh, no, um, the I, I, I ran on the Faro one last year. Oh, you did. Oh, okay. I, I think yeah, someone yeah, else might have ran. Aaron was running a. No, when we went out, actually, I had a. I had a Cryptek jacket that I was going to take, and it wasn't one of their heavy ones. It was kind of one of their, I would say, their mid-weight, uh, you know, jackets with the, what the hell is that, the DWR finish or whatever that crap is, the mm-hmm. the waterproofing. And, you know, and Aaron looked at it, and he's like, uh, you might want to take this, you know. And he 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 gave me one of his, and, and it was a good damn thing I, I took that thing because um, – it got cold, man, and it was rainy, and it was that thing was perfect because I, I got a little bit wet when I was sitting there waiting to try to get to the sheep the one time, and I threw that over the top of, of my, my gear that I had on because I didn't have a rain jacket on at the time, and it just, it, man, it was perfect. It warmed me up, and uh, I don't know. I don't like you, like you said, it's, it's that th- they've, it's kind of a sleeper, too, right? I mean, not a lot of people yeah. know about that, that Kafaro Puffy. Or that they, everyone thinks it's, it's backpacks, not. Yeah, I just looked it up because I didn't even know it existed, to be honest with you, which is a shame because I love, um, whether it's rock climbing, hiking, hunting, I love the big puffy jacket with the hood. Put it up, get warm, stay warm. You know, if you're warm, you're comfortable. If you're not, you're out exactly. of there sooner or later. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So, technical advice, do you guys sell knives? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call us a knife shop. We still have one, but um, I don't know. That's all I've really needed when I'm out hunting for the most part. So, that's that's the go-to then for you. How about boots? 
Um, boots, right now we're carrying uh, Kenetrex, and we're looking to, you know, maybe have a little more variety, um, but we just haven't found anything yet that we're, like, 100% sold on. Um, Kenetrex, for me, have, have served me very well. I put a lot of miles on my first pair. I got three good seasons out of them. And I think I tracked the miles between those seasons, and I was like 800 to 1,000 miles on the boots before I wore the sole out. So for me, I was pretty happy with that. Didn't get blisters, didn't get any wear or anything like that. Uh, I like a higher boot personally, so I get the support um, when I put a heavy pack on. Saves my knees uh, countless times. Um, It's just so hard with boots because... What fits my foot isn't what's going to fit your foot or Phil's foot or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's just finding a well-made boot that fits your foot. For us, it's Kenetrek. Uh, kind of across the board, it's worked well for everyone at the shop, and we've we've had good feedback from our customers who buy them. And so that's kind of why we've stuck with them. You know, it's hard to walk away from a model of boot that feels so good after so many miles. When your when your sole wears out, where does it wear for you? Like, do you mean you've worn through it, or you mean like it's no longer comfortable on your feet? So it's for me, it, like I wore the rubber too flat to where I can't get good grip on hillsides, rocks, whatever it is. Um, so that's what I ran into the issue of, and I unfortunately didn't take good enough care of the leather on the boot that I couldn't resole it, and that's my own fault. Uh, I just was too hard on it and didn't wax it like I should have. Um, but that was, because typically if you take care of the leather, you can just resole that bad boy for like 100 150 bucks, and, and you're back at it with a brand new sole. Uh, but for me, it's it's toes, like the very front of the toe, because I walk on my toes as I go uphill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the back of the heels as you're going downhill, you know, you're kind of just catching yourself. But pretty much just wore all the the grip off on the boots to where I was flipping enough where I needed a new pair. How, how about you, Phil? When do you know you need a new pair of boots? When have you realized it? When the waterproofing goes out. That's, uh, I yeah. mean, honestly, I've, so the, I've got a pair of Canatrex that I got from one shot gear and they fit me very well. Um, the one thing that I didn't care for, and it's not that it's, a downside to Kenetrek is just any leather upper boot. When we were side hailing so much on that sheep hunt on that first trip last year, it seemed like the boot leather, it, it just, you know, it, it, it stretched a little bit, you yeah, know, and, definitely. and I, I, th- I think that's any, any boot and you can lace them up a little tighter, but, um, my problem just got to where that I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to just keep checking my boots regularly throughout the day. And then having it rain and then dry out and rain and dry out and then side hill, that's where my feet were always dry. That, that, like I said, I, I, they, they, were, they fit me well, they kept me dry, and those are the two most important things, I think, that I look at with boots. But up until, so I, I've, I've had the Kenetrex, I've, I've blown through, I, used, I like to wear the Solomons just for like day hunting and stuff because they, they're just like more like a tennis shoe. Um, those hikers, but I'll blow through a pair of those boots within a season, just preseason and season because they just don't last. So when, when the waterproofing goes out on, on a set of boots, just, they start getting cracked and they just, they start leaking that that's, I don't usually, I've not, ne- I've not worn a sole out on a pair of boots that I can remember. It's, it's been because the waterproofing has failed. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting because two different answers, and I'm going to add a third because for me, whether it's my Red Wings for work or a hiking boot, any style, the first thing to happen is always with my right foot just behind the, uh, what would be considered the knuckles of your feet, like right where your toes come into your foot, like the front pad there, right behind that, like the very front of the arch will start to hurt every time and that's when i feel like i've worn out whatever piece of footwear it is i have 
I think it just shows you, man, like everyone's gait is so different. Everyone's arch is different. Uh, you know, your stride's different. We're all going to break boots down in different ways. I mean, I think all three are good reasons to get new boots or to resole your boot. Um, but there, there's just such a, so many variables that go into boots and feet and, and it's, it's hard to say that, you know, there's one definitive answer on what a good boot is or what's going to wear it out or anything like that. So kicking this back a little to hunting, since we are a hunting podcast, not that this isn't hunting talk, but do you have a favorite hunting memory? Uh, I mean, it's hard to forget the first uh, elk you took with a bow. That was probably the one that, that sticks out most in my mind. Um, just because I spent so many years wanting to hunt elk with a bow and not being able to just because of the setup I was hunting out of state in Wyoming and, you know, those out of state tags can get a little expensive. But when I finally, um, took the time to, to spend some time in Colorado and to chase elk with a bow here, I was able to, to connect after a season of scouting on opening weekend on just a little barely legal ragtop bowl. Um, man, it's just that the memory of letting that arrow go and watching it arc in is, is forever ingrained in my mind. It, that feeling afterwards, we were like, did I actually just do that? Like, did I just shoot an elk? And am I going to pack this thing out? Is that really what happened? Or am I just making this up in my head? What's going on? And for me, that's probably uh, the biggest memory for me because I'm hooked, man. Like, I like to deer hunt. I like to antelope hunt once in a while. You know, the bear experience was cool, but I will forever archery hunt elk. No, I hear you, man. I talked to a, a friend of mine yesterday that, that drew a, a sheep tag here in Colorado, and it was the same deal. He was like, man, it's right in the middle of elk season. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And you think about it, it's like, dude, you just drew a sheep tag, right, in Colorado. How mm -hmm. many years did it take you? And then, it, it, and that was his next comment was, man, it's right in the middle of elk season. Because mm -hmm. we all know it's not every day when you're out in the field hunting elk that it's awesome with the elk bugling and, and you know, you're in. It's not that every day. But those few days that you do get into that, oh, man, it's, it's, it's enough to keep you hooked for the next 300 and some days, right, until season comes around oh, again. Man. Oh, man. Yeah. It's it's a sickness. It really is. Yeah. You get hooked. I hear you. I mean, it, it's easy to get on, you know, oh, the sheep and the goat and all that in the same way. You know, that, that like, trophy species or, you know, the animal I don't get to chase. And I want to go do that. But it's even more fun to hunt elk in sheep country because you get the badass level of being in that kind of rugged country, but you get to chase screaming bulls. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, 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 I apparently looking at the backdoor uh, method on on uh, the division of wildlife. I apparently drew my deer tag in a Sweet. unit that is similar to that. To that, it's just that high country above timberline type unit, and uh, and it's over the counter for elk. So, um, I, if I see. And don't get me wrong, there's there's quality deer in this unit that I'm going to be hunting, but if I see a bull elk that's running around down there, I'm going to have a real hard time <laughs> not ditching the deer hunting to go after an elk. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I pulled, finally pulled after 10 years of putting in my Wyoming elk tag. And, and nice. I've been drooling over this country my whole life to finally be able to go and, and hunt hunt bulls in there. I've hunted cows and all that in there, but I've never been able to have a bull tag in my pocket. I finally have it, and I'm just like, I don't I don't have really any other tags. I have no other plans. This is 100% what I'm doing until I put something down or the season comes to an end, because that is going to be... When, when is that season, Grant? So, the way Wyoming works is I get too cracked at it, pretty much. I, I get a uh, I drew the rifle tag, essentially, so I'm going to get three weeks starting, like, I think it's the middle of October through the beginning of November, and that's rifle. 
Um, and then if I buy my archery stamps, then I can go chase some. Um, it's all unit specific, but this unit is like the second half of September. So I get a couple weeks in September to go with the bow. And then once rifle season comes, I'll, I'll probably take the bow too, but I'm not going to be ashamed to bring the rifle out and pop a big one because the, the unit has some potential, some amazing potential. So I'm really hoping I can, I can connect on it. Yeah, man, for sure. And, and you just got back from a, another hunt too, right? Yeah, yeah, I did that one. A little different, but that was a blast as well. Yeah, but I, I mean, you're uh, talking about bow hunting in friggin' May, man. What, tell us about it. Yeah, yeah tell exactly. us so, about it. So I went, uh, I got a, a little tip from a buddy of mine to, to go check out Hawaii. So he kind of pointed me in the right direction. I went out and I did a backpacking trip uh, in Hawaii uh, with a, another buddy of mine, and he actually had never taken a, an animal with a bow, so it was pretty awesome to watch him get hooked for life. Um, but we backpacked like eight miles in to this super nasty, rugged, like, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but goat country. It's like tropical goat country, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but just steep cliffs, uh, really thick terrain, and goats everywhere. So we went in for five days. And it was, I think as an archery hunter, I got more opportunities in those in three days of hunting than I have in, you know, 10, 12 years of hunting elk, deer, and antelope um, each season. Because it's, you know, I shot probably 20 times when I was out there. All kinds of angles, wind, no wind, distance. You know, you got to really test yourself uh, in a variety of, of experiences back to back to back um, to see what it's like. Because those goats are a huge problem out there. They're very evasive, cause a ton of erosion. Um, so they, they kind of need to be cleaned up a little bit, managed a little. Now, what island were you on for that? We went to Kauai. So this All is right. a, a Kauai hunt. I spent a little time on Lanai chasing chasing some uh, axis deer, some, which was a totally different deer? experience. Some what? Some two-legged deer? With big racks? No, not... not oh, <laughs> big racks, oh, but they were four-legged spotted deer. <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble, Phil. <laughs> I know, that's Phil. Oh, man. You know, it's actually... Oh, man. i got to live through you guys' course. eyes because, you know, I, I, I close my eyes when I see other women walk around. Yeah, hey, I do the same. I do the same, Phil. Now... <laughs> so that. What's actually really cool is I went to Kauai for my honeymoon last summer. And until going there, I had no idea how pro hunting and how big hunting was in Hawaii. Absolutely. It uh, is pretty shocking to me because we were, I mean, there's like this little, I don't know what you'd call like a hippie commune or whatever that lives 11 miles in on this trail. And so we would see people every day coming in and out. We, I mean, we saw at least 10, 15 people a day on the trails. We were running back and forth trying to get on these goats. And a lot of times people would see us chasing goats and be like, hey, can we watch? And we're like, yeah, I guess, you know. And then they're sitting there filming us 70 yards away shooting these goats and they're jumping off of cliffs or getting into hard-to-reach places. And everyone was like, that's really cool. You know, they we didn't get any... Uh, kickback at all. There's one guy that had something bad to say, and the first thing he told me was he was a vegan, so it kind of, you know, it, it made sense, but there was, that was it. Everyone else was happy and or interested in us hunting out there, to what we were hunting, how we were doing it, you know, if the goat was delicious, which it is, by the way, uh, but th it was really cool to see that, because you don't, you know, in Colorado, you can kind of get some interesting looks when you're running around with a bow now did they think you were a hippie though when they saw you <laughs> i i think i think my hippie camouflage definitely worked to my advantage because um, when you see a guy walking own. around with a with a big man bun the first thing you think you don't you don't necessarily think you know hunter but uh it, it, i think it helped me kind of be one of them uh, so they weren't as 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 mean about it per se. 
and that's the thing about Kauai is people don't even understand is the ruggedness and the beauty of the terrain. Oh man! Like they have mountains on this island. Oh, and like mountains, like mountains that would make Colorado look sorry. Like, did you like, go to Waimea Canyon too while you're out there? Did you have time for that? Or? You know, I didn't, man. We we pretty much like I showed up the day before. We hiked in the next morning. We came out. And then that next morning, we came out at night. That next morning, we flew out. So I didn't get to go and see the rest of the island. But what I saw where I was, that is, my buddy told me that it was like poor man's New Zealand. You know, yeah. like when you can't afford to go to New Zealand, it's going to be just as rugged and just as extreme. And it was every bit of it. It, it is, there was a lot of holy shit moments on the edges of cliffs where I, was kind of curious why I was being so stupid, but where I, you know, where you just like, wow, yeah, you know, that's a pretty long ways down to the ocean. Didn't really, <laughs> didn't realize I was, I was here. And then, and you know, you're trying to drag a goat back up the cliff and get out of there. And it's, it's a, uh, it held a very good candle to to Colorado, if not took it to a whole nother level. And that's the thing too. That's cool about. Kauai, you know, being on the ocean, of course, as part of the island chain is also, there's only really one road, main road that goes all the way around the mm -hmm. island. And then when he's talking about hunting, going in to hunt, it's like everything in that center of that island is just rugged as hell, untamed, unsettled land. Absolutely. It's, you know, and the, and the trail we were on was pretty well frequented, but no one ever left the trail. You know, like we were the only ones who would ever get off the trail um, away from where everyone was. And, and so that, you know, we were, we saw people, but no one would ever get in our way uh, when it came to hunting. And it, it's remote stuff, man. It's those ribbon cliffs and the, they're like knife edge ridges where one foot's on one side, one foot's on the other side. And you're balancing as you're shooting at a goat, like a 45 degree angle. It gets interesting. What, what, uh, what kind of sleep system did you, did you run there, Grant? Just curious of what you what you guys took for the, camp. The wrong sleep system. Um, <laughs> so oh, we yeah. took we took like a full tent, and we took uh, we took some woobies from Kafar, you know, like those insulated blankets and and a sleeping pad and oh. all that. Man, I could have just slept on the ground with nothing. It, it was hot. Like, we were cooking in there. And we, like, we left it, like, kept it vented and stuff. There's a ton of little cockroaches everywhere. And we're like, oh, we're going to bring the tent so we keep the cockroaches out. And then we realized that they just got everywhere. Like, you couldn't keep them away. If there any little crevice they could get into your gear, they would. I, I came back and was unpacking. There's little cockroaches running all over my apartment. I'm trying to get them cleaned up. But... Um, I would go with like a, a hammock and a tarp or just a tarp. Like you don't need much at all, at all. Uh, it's really, cause it's like 80 degrees, 70 to 80 degrees always. And you know, it does rain. So a little tarp would be a good idea, but it's a pretty simple setup cause you can sleep, you know, pretty comfortable without just in your clothes or. Uh, you know, just on a pad or in a hammock, you know, it'd be plenty. So did you even get to experience some of the pineapple they have there? Uh, we, we ate some on the way, on the way in the first day we ate some. Um, but that, it was quick, man. I, I, I love pineapple and I didn't get my fill. That's for sure. I was a little disappointed. Oh, it's the best pineapple in the world is on that island. It's, it is delicious. We we did indulge in some coconuts, which is always a treat. That's good. That's good, man. That's cool. I uh, I never met anyone who's or knew of anyone who had hunted Hawaii, and but when we were there doing the tourist kind of thing, they have all these you know hunting checking stations and all these things about the evasive species of goats and the uh, pigs and all this stuff, and it it just seemed like man, they really want hunters here. Absolutely. Well. Like, so this unit we were in, it's an archery-only area. It's open year-round. You have to get licenses. You have to go in and check with them so you get, like, a three-day license. But you can hunt year-round, and there's no limit. There's no limit on goats. And that's, for the most part, 
Kauai has a lot of public land opportunities, but across all the islands, there's typically a year-round hunting opportunity, which is what's so great about it. I don't really want to tell people about this because I want, you know, I want to be able to not have a ton of competition, but um, it's a year-round place to hunt. It's really a pretty affordable place to go, especially when you backpack and you're not paying for lodging. Um, you can do it pretty cheap and have some of the craziest, um, you know, hunting scenarios you'll ever experience with as many shot opportunities as you have arrows. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't recommend it more. I, if I can pull it off, this will be an annual or a biannual trip with me and my buddies. Cause it was, uh, one of the cooler experiences. You can just test your limits in a way you can't, and you get to break the off season up a little bit, you know, I mean, and there's spring bear and all that too, but, uh, Something about this, you don't. I don't usually let twenty arrows go during a spring bear hunt. So, so how many did you? How many goats did you end up with? <laughs> uh, well, a decent amount jumped off a cliff, um, but we we uh, I think we took about ten, and um, and we lost about I think it was four or five. Um, decided to to jump into the ocean or fell into the ocean after we got them, um, and then and they say yeah it's a man that's a <laughs> it's an interesting experience to shoot a goat and have it jump off because they make all kinds of noises and uh, but anyways and then we we were able to get that meat to some of the people that were camping and it like blew their minds to be able to eat fresh meat and they were just like beside themselves because they were so excited to, to eat some of it. So we were able to, everything we got, we were able to get to people who would who would eat it. And then we ate as much as we could, but there's only so much meat you can eat in three days. So so were you able to take anything home with you, or how did that work out? No, we weren't just because of um, how hot it is. And because I wasn't going straight home, we didn't have the opportunity to get, you know, meat on ice. And plus the people there were like, they wanted the meat so bad that we were happier to give it to them and have a little lighter pack on the way out than, you know, try to carry a bunch of stuff right. um, back with us and then have it spoil. Cause the meat just goes bad so fast out there because of the heat and the humidity and bugs and all that. Phil, I'm thinking we're going to have to invite ourselves on this trip next year. I tell you what, man, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Grant's the, the world traveler. I mean, Russia and Hawaii, what's next, Grant? Because, I mean, you already invited two guys. You didn't know you invited two guys to your Hawaii trip <laughs> next year. But, That's right. Um, but where else are we going to go? Well, I, you know, I got a pretty good tag in Wyoming. My <laughs> priority is Wyoming right now. That's going to be my biggest trip. But I really want to go um, New Zealand, man. New Zealand has been calling my name for some years now just because of the opportunity and the ruggedness of it. Um, but New Zealand or Alaska, man, if you guys want to go to New Zealand or Alaska, let me know. And I'm in. I've always wanted a red stag. Yeah. But we got to do it. I want to get out there and hunt those tar and those. Yeah. We got to do it the poor man's way. Cause you know, I, I got to always find I a can't way. Do I'm it any other way. budget. <laughs> I can't do it any other way, Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. I just want to make sure. Plus, too, man, you know, there's, for me, the the free-range experiences in New Zealand are what are calling my name more than anything. You know, I don't, if I want to go shoot something in a fence, we can go to Texas and and do that. So so you're saying that you don't want to get the helicopter ride up to the, the private end There's of the mountain after scouting. There's a difference between a helicopter the... ride to the top of a mountain <laughs> and shooting a stag off of uh, off of a you know like a hay tray. There's there's a difference there. <clears throat> I hear you, man. I'm with you. I I agree. Yeah, that's that's something that's been on on my list too. But you know, for me, it's moose, and then New New Zealand's another one that that I'm I'm uh, you know I've been looking into, but my. I don't know, man. My wife already told me. She says you're taking me with you, whether whether you like it or not. I'm, I got to take her, so I may have to find some place that I can put her up to go do some sightseeing or some crap like no, that. No, this and... will be perfect. We get a place for her, <clears throat> Melanie, the kids, and Kauai. We go hunt these goats. 
Right. Absolutely. It'd be a good start. That's going to be probably more doable, I think, because you're right. uh, You know, hey, you know, take a week vacation, go spend two or three days hunting, and then go. Mm -hmm. I can only sit on the beach for so long, like a day, two days, and then I got to go. So I'm the same way, man. I'm going to tell you right now, when it comes to my ties, ooh, I can drink those down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, (laughs) Grant, um, what, what what do you guys? I mean, the the season for the new gear is is coming up here, and we only got a few minutes left before we got to close this out. So tell us about you know where people what you guys have new for this year at One Shot. What's what's coming forward? Um, just what what's the the stuff you're excited about? The new new products maybe or just new lines. Uh, that's all gonna a lot of that stuff's gonna start coming up pretty soon, right? Yeah, we're about to get flooded with all the clothing. So all first by and Sutka. Um, is going to hit us in the next month or so. It, it, you know, it all varies a little bit, but we're going to get inundated with all the Sitka you could ever think of. Um, but Sitka has a couple new pieces coming out that are pretty, um, pretty badass. Uh, First Light has some some interesting pieces. I'm curious about as well with some of their base layers they're kind of refining. Um, but I mean, this is this is when. I would advise the guys who are thinking about getting into some of the gear, start dabbling now so that you have it refined come August, September. So you're not like those, you know, hundreds of last minute guys that come into us in August in a panic, trying to figure out what they're going to need, you know, and get something wrong with sizing and have issues there. But um, start looking at it now and checking the systems out. I highly advise a pre-order so you get your name on it because some of the better items go much faster. Um, that Timberline jacket, I don't think is going to hang around for very long when, uh, with the Sitka stuff because it's a it's a pretty versatile piece with the way they put that together. You know what else is great, Grant? What's that? Supplements. Supplements. Do you know what kind of supplements yeah, we, are great? Uh, I like Mountain Ups. I don't know. Oh, what do you like? Thank goodness. So do I. And you know what I really like Perfect. about them? What's that? Getting 20% off when I go to getmountainops.com <laughs> and enter the coupon code NBH20 at checkout. Wait, you got to tell me that one more time. I, I don't have a pen. Oh, geez, Grant. I'll give you a minute. You <laughs> go grab your pen, and I'll repeat this very slowly. You go to getmountainops.com, which is their website. You go put all your stuff in your cart. You go to checkout. You go to the little part that says, please enter coupon code. And you enter the code NBH20 at checkout, and you will get yourself 20% off your purchase. I like it. If You better love it. It's 20% off, baby. I do. It's man. We 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 got mountain ops in the store, man. We hey, we do love it. That's right. You want to go get them in person? You can go get them from Grant oh, yeah. over at One Shot. You can stop into Phil over at shit. Phil, I'm blanking on the name of your shop. No limit. No, no limit. Archery. That's right. In the Denver well, metro area. Come on, man. I know, dude. My brain doesn't work great right now. He's he's about to have a baby. About the, so you're yeah. thinking about Hawaii. That's why. That's right. Oh, I'm gonna tell you what. I thought Hawaii was one of these like, oh, people blow it out of proportion. It's just a tourist destination mm-hmm. for honeymoons. Blah blah blah. Kauai was one of the coolest places I'd ever been in my life. I couldn't agree more, man. And you know what else Phil's got going on? If you are into some, ch- have you signed up for this competition yet, Grant? Man, I haven't because I'm going to be working it. We're going to have a booth over there, so I'm going to be. This is what happens every time in these competitions. I I don't really compete in them because I'm too busy on the business end of them. But I'll be there, and and it sounds like you know Phil's got a pretty good thing going on here in a couple weeks. When is that coming up, Phil? Two weeks. We can well. We can have Memorial Day weekend. And Grant, just okay. just so you know, I'm gonna do a little challenge amongst the people that are setting up booths. Okay, oh, so you better man. bring your bow. <laughs> uh, right, it's gonna be decided. fun because there's there's a, there's four or five vendors that I know that are gonna be there. There's gonna be five to eight people working these four or five booths. There's gonna be another two or three booths that are just demo booths. But we're gonna have to have a little team competition or some kind of friendly competition. 
on the head to head range with the vendors. So just bring your bow, man. It's all in good fun. I'll probably join in the game, play a little bit and, um, we'll have, what's fun. the price? What's the price for last place? Last, place. I just want to know what I'm going to win. <laughs> don't concern yourself with that grant. You're going straight to the top, my boy. Right. I, I got about. I'm just getting new strings, so I got about a week to sign in and get ready. Hopefully, I can pull it together. Don't worry, I know a great archery you shop go. you can go to in the Denver metro area. Have you heard yeah, of Old Livets Archery? I've been there a couple times. <laughs> That's pretty much my second home, man. <laughs> That's good. Then you better not get last place. <laughs> Right on, oh, man. man. So, yeah, week and a half, Alpha Bow Hunting Challenge, April tw- uh, May 28th, 29th, if you're in the Denver area. We will be having, if you don't want to compete, you want to come watch, uh, I get it. You know, don't be nervous. There's going to be prizes for all levels of shooters. But Sunday night, we're going to have a little private film viewing with the awards banquet and some free dinner. So if you're in the Denver what area, kind of films come check doing? us out. Should be Four knows? Just some short films from uh, some short films from like uh, Whale Tail Outdoors is gonna get us a film. Uh, Santino's got a film. Uh, Willie with Pure Hunting. Um, the Hamsky Boys got something for me. So there's a and few films. Are there originals? Uh, some of these have not been seen. Some of these may have been uh, viewed, but you know. Not 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 at like a film like an actual uh, film tour and stuff. I'll send you a cool. film, Phil, but you're not gonna like what you see. Uh oh. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure we can put something together at one shot. You know, have a, a decent giveaway for those that show up and compete and do all that too. Oh shit! Nice. I think we're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to do a competition where you gotta take a picture with with the mountain mutt and put it up on social media. I like so we can that. I like that. We don't need to scare everyone. There's no need for that. <laughs> There's no need for that. You know what else no, I man, like? It'll be fun. Getting free stuff. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. You know how you get free stuff yeah. though. How do you get free stuff? Well, if you go and buy a pair of binoculars or a spotting scope from maven go to mavenbuilt.com you will be able to get some free swag from them by uh entering the coupon code nbh gift at checkout well that sounds like a pretty spectacular deal that is a spectacular deal that is spectacular so head on over do you have your pen grant you want to write this down my pen is ready man all right so it's mavenbuilt.com nbh gift Get yourself some free swag. There you go. There we go. Well, Grant, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Phil, as always, you're sexy as hell. People, don't forget, if you're in the Denver metro area next weekend, even if you don't feel like competing, head on over. Just check it out. Feel the atmosphere because the atmosphere at this competition is just going to be insane it's going to be one of the best things you can be involved in in the sport of archery so get over there and participate show up just you know be around it so it's going to be fun man yeah it, it, it's going to be fun to i mean absolutely well grant man we appreciate it we'll catch up soon and, thank uh, you we'll... guys you have a good one all right man all right ladies and gentlemen this has been the natural born hunter podcast wake up chase your dreams repeat